continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. There's an outline on page 5 as well if you'd like to follow along. Hear now the word of God. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other. Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God remains forever. In Matthew 28, Jesus gives his marching orders to his church at the very end of this book that we're in right now. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Today, in Matthew 6, we see a picture of how, by the Spirit of God, washed in the blood of Jesus, we are equipped to live as disciples. The passage is talking to us about two ways of living. Rico Tis talks about this. If you're curious, you can follow up more on his website, Christianity Explored. One way is the way of foolishness and folly. The other is the way of surpassing wisdom by storing up treasures in heaven. One way is all about earthly investments, the secular, the here, the now. This is all there is. The other way is having our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we need help here. For the Christ follower, there's going to be a lot of questions for us that I'm asking myself and all of us today. Where is your treasure? What is your heart set on? Who is your master? Whom do you serve? And as a believer in Christ, you'll say, yeah, my treasure's in heaven. My heart's set on Christ. Jesus is my master and Lord. I serve him, yes. It's easy to have the right answer, but is that what God is doing in our hearts? Is that how God is equipping us to live? First, two treasures. What do we live for? It's always important to say what someone is not meaning by what they say, isn't it? Jesus here is not saying, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth. He's not saying earthly wealth is bad. He's not saying poverty is good. Money, gold, stocks, investments, houses, land, cabins, boats, none of those things are evil or bad. We need to reject any false guilt over being wealthy. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Riches of this world are a good gift that some have from God and 
properly handling them is commended in the Bible. It's wise to save and have life insurance. Our denomination has even talked about that in terms of pastors and being wise here and not foolish. It's wise to have retirement plans. and We are worse than pagans if we don't provide for our families. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. What does it say? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So warnings are here in the Bible posed by the love of wealth. As one man says, money can be like a false trinity. Money is our creator. We talk of self-made men, and we admire them. Money is our comforter, comfort shopping, retail therapy. Money is our savior. Well, we can buy that person off. How much will it cost to get me out of this? Jesus is centering here on heart attitudes. Sin is not just a behavior issue. It's a heart matter. And he's warning against the spiritual danger of storing up treasures here on earth. Why? Well, for one reason, it's a bad investment. They don't last. Moth and rust destroy them. What he's talking about in the context here is clothing, food, gems, and what was valuable in the ancient world. Garments were considered a part of your wealth in the Middle East. So one man says, Achan found a beautiful Babylonian garment so tempting, remember Joshua 7? He coveted it, and it resulted in his destruction. Every piece of clothing will succumb to the moth, no matter how fine and valuable it is today. Rust, not only what happens to cars in Minnesota winters with a lot of salt on the road, but literally the word means eating. Rust, the spoiling of worms on food, mildew and rotting, meaning things fall apart. Entropy is relentless. Markets go up and down. Inflation erodes savings. Houses mold and rot and fall apart. Our car loses value the minute we drive it off the lot. The next gadget is already out of date a month after you have it. And it breaks. You drop it in the toilet. You drop it in the lake. On that point, I I did drop my phone in the lake this summer. I was fishing wanting to have a picture of what I might catch. I didn't catch anything, but I dropped the phone. (laughs) In the providence of God, I went back, and anyway, it's a long story, but I did find it, and it still works. A lot of rice was involved in drying it out. It was in a shallow spot. Sorry. (laughs) Thieves break in and steal stuff, Jesus says. In the ancient world, there weren't banks, so you would dig your your valuables and put them and bury them in your house. And thieves would come in, stick their hands through the clay of your house, kids, and rip them out. And there weren't alarm systems. What does this mean today? All sorts of things destroy property. We know that this week. Hurricanes. Fires. War. Floods. Earthquakes. The point is the folly of that which perishes. 
This is a summary of Ecclesiastes. The things in this life are transient. They're fading. They're like the dew on the grass in the morning that in an October day is gone a few hours later. So Jesus asks all of us, where is your treasure? Those things that you so deeply desire, ultimately, that we lost in the fall when Adam sinned and took all of us down with him. Those things that we now try to get back by the things of this world. He's not just talking about money, is he? Our treasure can be anything that defines us. Relationships. Family. Some people put family before everything. Kids in sports can become a treasure that is all dominating. I was at a high school reunion recently. That sounds like the beginning of a bad joke, doesn't it? What I saw there is what I also heard yesterday from a high school teacher. Pressure, anxiety, that maybe kids you have or adults you used to have or adults you have in a different way of grades, what college to get into, scholarships, what career to go into, how much we'll make, the success that is put on us or the pressure that's put on us for success. Where is our treasure? How are we trying to overcome the curse of sin by the things that we treasure? Business, social standing, popularity, looks and appearance, intellect, athleticism, vacations, By gathering these things, Jesus says, do you think you will gain security and intimacy? It cannot last. It will quickly go away. Yes, it's good to be wise, to work, to save, to eat well, to exercise, but you can eat well and exercise and come down with cancer or have a chronic illness. Clothes and cars and good food are fine, but they won't bring us fellowship with God. That's Jesus' point. The world is shouting at us, the song of 1987. The Twins knock off the Cardinals that year. It's a good year for baseball fans in Minnesota. And Belinda Carlisle writes, Oh, baby, do you know what it's worth? Oh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Oh, heaven is a place on earth. When people try to buy their way to heaven or buy heaven on earth, and that song is talking about that, what happens? We get angrier and angrier, more irritable and fearful and anxious. Give me more that I can have heaven on earth. And Jesus says in verse 21 of Matthew 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. See that? Where your treasure is, your heart is. Why? Because as one person writes, Jesus knows we deceive ourselves quickly about our hearts. But in reality, what we treasure reveals our hearts. If you lay up treasure on earth, it will pull your heart after it. What are we fearing? What are we trusting? Where are we taking refuge? What voices are we listening to? Where are we setting our hopes? 
Paulison and Ferguson and Carson all ask these questions of us. What do we daydream about? What do we think about when we have nothing to think about? What's on our mind before bed and in the morning and right now? That might be the clearest index of where our treasure lies. What do we fret about? The heart of one storing up treasure on earth is always asking, am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough? Can I earn my way to heaven? What will happen tomorrow if? Here's another question. What are the things we measure others by? That reveals a lot. Because we often measure others by what we treasure. Do we measure them by their clothing? Their education? Their homes? Their athleticism? Their success in the business world? Their looks? Here's another question. Someone who's very wealthy walks in front of you. They drive by you. And in our heart, out loud, what we can say is, look at them laying up treasures on earth. Have we ever done that? That actually says more about my heart than about their heart. Phil Reichen offered this set of questions. What are signs that we are more in love with money than with God? When we're anxious about finances, not trusting God to provide, when our lives are so full of work that we have no time for anything else, when we find our thoughts going again and again to what we have to have, have to buy, that's a sign. How about talking with our kids? One writer says this, we should not talk to our kids and start or even make our financial decisions with the words, can we afford it? We've all probably said it. Why not? He says, instead we should ask, does this glorify God? Does it make me a better servant? Can we afford it? The message that comes there is that the adults don't make the decision, kids, in this family. Money does. When we make decisions... We want God and his law to have the final word, not money. We need to be aware of the danger of double-mindedness. We either become a slave to money that we don't yet have but live for, or the money we currently has have can cause us to hoard it and think we, we can't ever do anything with it. We can't share it. We can't spend it. What's Jesus saying here? Turn from God to God from idols to serve God, meaning idolatry and covetousness is at the foundation here. Idolatry, a metaphor for human lust and craving and yearning and greedy demand, like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings. And what he had to have, his precious, basically destroyed him. We become what we worship because we're all worshiping beings. I love sports, but look at the games and look at people dressing up. They become the very thing that they're idolizing. That's a shot at my own heart and my own idolatry, probably. By nature, our self-willed, self-centered, self-deceiving heart believes lies and pursues lusts. The culture puts pressure on us. Materialism. 
the obsession to have it. Hoarding. The accumulation of so much that I, I have to keep that I'm so engrossed in myself. I'm adding to my treasure. It's self-destructive. It's greedy. What's behind all of these things? Secularism. Here and now. No eternity. No absolutes. This life is all there is. You better enjoy it. You better get all you can out of it because this is it. Jesus here is telling us life is an investment. The question for me and all of us is, am I going to invest my life for short-term benefits or long-term gains? We contrast secularism with what Jesus says. Lay up for yourselves treasures. Where, kids? In heaven. No rust there, no moth, no sin, no death. In another parable in Matthew, Jesus will describe himself as the treasure. Jesus is the pearl of great price. When you get Jesus by faith, you get all that your heart was made for. You get rest that nothing in this world can give you. That rest that we are longing for, that we lost when Adam sinned. It's in Christ. He is our joy. He is our satisfaction. He is our wisdom. Through his life and death, in the place of an idolatrous sinner like myself, and his resurrection from the dead, and his reign in heaven, he has obtained for us an inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's kept in heaven, the Bible says. It's God himself. We will be with the Lord, a new heaven and a new earth. God is the treasure of our hearts. Jesus, the Son of God who is rich, for our sake, Paul says, became poor, that we, by his poverty, might become rich. What does that mean? It means the Father loves you, dear brother and sister. The Son became a man to live the life we didn't. He took our sins on himself. He paid our debt. He said it is finished on the cross. In Christ, by faith, you are rich with things money can't buy. Forgiveness of sins. Eternal life. Adoption as his children. Communion with God. The resurrection. God doesn't want to take away your joy. God is your joy. It never fades, this treasure. It never gets old. And Jesus by his spirit is at work now breaking the power of enslaving sin in us where we constantly want to go back to those idols. He says, come to me. Rest in me. Treasure in heaven. What does that mean for life today? It means knowing Christ. Growing in our love for Christ. It means telling others about Christ. Christ will be in heaven. Other believers will be in heaven. And we want to tell others about this joy of Christ in heaven. One man says, here's what often happens. He said, I shared the Bible with three people. They said, yeah, I grew up in the church. I don't really have much time for the Bible. I pray once in a while. 
but I'm not going to church, and I'm not a member of a church, so no, I'm not really a practicing believer, if you want to know that question. Why is that? The man said. You know what they said? There isn't time. I work hard during the week. The weekend's for me and my family. There's just no time. There's so many earthly treasures. There's so much to do. There's so many places to go. Loved ones, do we love people enough to say, in, in love and by the power of the Spirit of God, you need to be warned of the wrath to come? People may love their sin, but it's the wrath and curse and judgment of God that every sin deserves, the hell that we all deserve. It's so easy to just kind of be spiritually lazy, complacent. Jesus says, I'm worthy. Trust me. Tell others about me, my loveliness. Faith makes us outward looking to God and to each other as we look out to each other in love. Faith rests in Christ, looks to God. It's not self-obsessed. Where do we put our treasure? Where do we fix our eyes? Secondly, Jesus goes on to give an eye exam. Some of us have glasses. Some of us have contacts. Some of us have Lasix. <laughs> some of us have none of the above. But Jesus wants us to think, are our eyes healthy? Jesus here speaks of the eye actively. Do you see that? He says in verse 22, if your eye is healthy, meaning single, a good eye means someone who's generous. But not just money, time, talent, treasure. He's talking about a whole way of living. It's about the way of foolishness or the way of wisdom. He's asking us if we're squinting spiritually. If we have an eye here, but we're really looking over there. Double vision, double-mindedness. His question is, where's our focus? Where's our heart? Where's our spiritual gaze? Where we look shapes the trajectory of life. A good eye means singleness of purpose and loyalty. What fills our spiritual vision each day? That can either lead us to darkness or point us to Christ, the light of the world. Because in and of ourselves, we are dark. We need the Spirit to enlighten our eyes, Paul says, that we may know the hope we have in Christ, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that Christ, who is the light of the world, my eye becomes the lamp of my body when I see the lamp of his greatness in the world and in my life. This means as you come to church, one thing is to pray for the Holy Spirit to illumine the word of God. That's why we prayed for the prayer of illumination. God, in and of myself, I'm, my, 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 my mind is really confused. I'm upset with this person. I'm distracted. I'm tired, I didn't sleep, I didn't eat, I really don't want to be here, I'm struggling. I'm, God, I need your spirit. The pastor needs the spirit. We need the spirit. We need the illuminating grace of God to see Christ as he is, to eat and inwardly digest his word, which is spiritual food for living 
the life that God has called us to. We don't have that in of ourselves. In fact, by nature, we are like all of us, the church of Laodicea. I'm rich. I've prospered. I don't need anything. What do I need? (laughs) Nothing. And Jesus says, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Oh, we need the grace of God to see our need for Christ, to see his beauty, his loveliness, because otherwise, the darkness... The darkness that Jesus is talking about here is the word for greed and stinginess. Do you see that? If your eye is bad, verse 23, your whole body is full of darkness. Here's some questions for us. What light is shining from our eyes? When we look at other people, do we have a greedy way of looking at them? Do we look at them for our selfish purposes? Or do we look at them with love? Do we have a cynical eye to everyone around me? Are we assuming motives and assuming the worst? If so, you'll see darkness everywhere. But it's not that it's really there as much as it's here. That's what Jesus is saying. If our treasure is on earth, we will magnify the darkness. Because our greed and selfishness will darken everything around us. But loved ones, if our treasure is in heaven, we will look at others with grace, with patience, with generosity. We will think the best of them and desire the best for them. Generosity, meaning some people have been given by God providentially resources. Wealth, health, time, gifts, talents, spheres of influence. Some people have the gift of God, from God to make a lot of money. And Jesus says, because God is full of generosity and grace with us, we can use now what God has given for his glory. We can respond in gratitude for all that we have in Jesus, living in a way that does not show that money owns us. Third, see where he's going? Where's your treasure? What's your heart set on? Who's your master? Behind the choice of treasure and visions is the choice of whom we are serving. Who is the master of this thought, this behavior, this motivation? We're all religious. We're all bound to one God or another. Who do we serve, Jesus says, it's one or the other. God or Baal. Remember the Old Testament? Here he says God or mammon. The translation for money on mammon is actually not exactly what's being said. It doesn't exclude money. But the word mammon means what are you trusting in? Could be money. Could be a material thing. It could be a person. And a lot of times we deceive ourselves. We think, I can do both. I can serve God here in this compartment and I can do what I want over here. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I can kind of be a chameleon and go around and act a certain way with this person and a different way with this person and another way over here. Yeah, I I got this figured out. I can honor God on Sunday if the Vikings aren't on at 830. If I don't have something better to do, 
if all the circumstances in my life line up that I can go. Then I can honor God. Then I'll be there. It's not about being there. It's about God by his spirit meeting with us as we're gathered. And yes, we need to be there because God knows what's good for us to worship him, to be with each other. I can serve God with some time and serve me with the rest. Jesus says that's impossible. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. Our loyalty will be to one or the other. There's only one dominating love and affection in our hearts, and we all struggle here. We all need grace and repentance here. None of us can achieve this here. But here's an example. Judas and Paul. Remember, it's not by effort, it's by grace. Judas, mammon, literally the love of treasure and money, led him to deliver Christ to the hand of the enemy. Paul, all the personal merit and stuff and prestige that he prized is now dung. It's worthless. It's less than worthless. Whatever academic degrees, whatever money, whatever prestige, whatever I was doing to rise as a Pharisee, it's all rubbish that I might gain Christ, that I might be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. What do we value? What do we treasure? Who owns us? One person says, look at your calendar, your commitments, your checks, your credit cards. Every time we reach into our pocketbooks, we pull something out of our hearts. What characterizes our talk with our spouse this last week, this last year? Is it money? Is it kids? Yes, we have to talk about money. Yes, we have to talk about kids. But is that it? What do you most want to talk of with your friends? Have you seen my dot, dot, dot? Luke 8 warns us of the worries and the pressures and the riches and the pleasures of life that can choke us, that many can begin well, but they're strangled by the love of the world. That's not for you and I to decide of someone else. Only God knows, and only God knows our hearts and only God knows that there is freedom in Christ, as his word says, the secret of contentment, to enjoy everything God created as good. This is not telling you to go out and to say introspectively, am I having too much fun right now? That's the heart of foolishness of someone who has a treasure on earth. Don't say that. Enjoy good music and sports, and family. Enjoy your grandkids, even if they mess up your house. It, it can be cleaned. Enjoy a good meal and a glass of wine. Enjoy the seasons of life and going to school. Enjoy friends and fall and apples. Enjoy singleness and married life and having grandchildren. Enjoy marriage if you're married. If you think your spouse has to be perfect, you'll have a miserable marriage. One man says marriage is having two tubes of toothpaste because your spouse rolls one wrong. If you need to buy two tubes, 
buy two tubes. Meaning you can sit there and pick at your spouse and all that they do and all that drives you crazy and all that's wrong and be miserable. Or by God's grace, you can say, I'm going to love them. Forgive and forbear and overlook idiosyncrasies and annoyances as we grow together in the fear of God. That's how Ecclesiastes ends. Fear God and keep his commandments. If we fear God, our treasure isn't on earth. God is our treasure and our reward. If we fear God because he has first loved us, we will fear him and want to keep his commandments in joy and gratitude out of delight for what we have in Christ. We will look forward to fellowship with the Lord. And the treasure that we will seek is the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. The thing that the disciple that Jesus is talking to here longs for most at the end of our life is that the Lord would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. Amen. Let's pray.